he is risen. Amen? Amen. Come on, can we give him some praise today? He is risen. I didn't know this tradition because I didn't grow up with this tradition, but when people say he is risen, I didn't realize you're supposed to say he is risen indeed. It was about 10 years ago that I learned that. People would come up to me and they would say he is risen. I'm like, mm-hmm, amen. <laughs> and so maybe if you're like me and you're out of the loop, when we say he is risen, you're supposed to say he is risen indeed. So let's try it. He is risen. It's like you guys have been there before. That's so good. That's so good. Well, welcome to BCC. If you are new here, my name's Derek. I'm one of the pastors here. We are so excited for all of our regular church family, as well as any of those who may be visiting, for you just to be here and to worship our risen king. Uh, one of the things that comes to mind um, today, I was just thinking about this when I was back in my office, just spending some time, just getting my thoughts together and praying I was thinking about my recent trip to Israel. I went and visited what they believe is Jesus' tomb. And one of the really interesting things about this tomb is that there is this steel spike that is just lodged in the wall. And what they believe happened was when they took the stone and they rolled it over the entrance to the tomb that someone took a steel spike, a Roman soldier, and they beat it into the wall to prevent anyone from, in the middle of the night, maybe sneaking up and rolling that stone away and slipping in and stealing the body. And then they posted two guards there as well to make sure that there was no funny business going on because there had been rumors of Jesus rising from the dead. And so they went to extra lengths to make sure that Jesus could not be stolen away by his disciples, and then they could run around and make all these false claims. And one of the cool things that you get to see when you go and you visit that garden tomb is, first of all, the coolest thing, there's nothing inside. Like, it's just an empty tomb, which is pretty rad, you know? Like, so I love that. But another cool feature is that there is this severed spike. It is cut smooth off. It is just clean cut off, and it's lodged into the wall and when you look at that spike you think man that the power of god just whacked that thing right off just clean off and rolled that stone away and that steel spike the re the remnants of it are still lodged in that wall the power of god you guys just just opened up this tomb rolled the stone away and jesus victorious over death death our final enemy Death, the thing that, man, if you ask people, what are you most afraid of? Heights, public speaking, <laughs> death. <laughs> you know, those are kind of the top three of what people are afraid of. People are afraid of death because there's so many unknowns attached to it. And there's like this, there's like a finality to it. It seems like it's over, right? But yet Jesus, the reason he rose from the grave and the reason this is so significant and the reason it was so important for him to bodily raise from the grave is because death was our final enemy and the reason death was our final enemy was because of sin and so jesus defeated sin on the cross and he defeated death by rising from the grave bodily his bodily resurrection therefore jesus put death to death isn't that an awesome thing and we talked about on friday how jesus was crucified how he had been brutally beaten. He had an unfair trial. There was a frenzied mob, and that frenzied mob demanded Jesus' 
death by the most horrific means of execution known to the Roman world of that day, and that was crucifixion. After all Jesus' teachings, after all of his claims, after all of his prophecies, thousands of lives touched in just three and a half years of ministry, and not one person was sitting outside anxiously awaiting for his resurrection. No one was peeking around the tree. No one was hiding in the bushes waiting for his resurrection. There was this sense of finality. There was this sense of hopelessness. And as we read with what a lot of Jesus' followers were doing after his death and his burial, man, it looks like they were just hopeless and they were trying to cope with what they saw. And it must have been due to the graphic nature, the horrific nature of how terrible that they saw Jesus being beat. How scripture even says that he was unrecognizable as a man because of just the grotesque nature of how severely his body was mangled and marred. And now here they are and, and they're like, there's no way he could have survived that. And there's this sense of hopelessness that set in. Jesus, their hoped king, their hoped messiah, he was dead, and it seemed like the movement that Jesus started, man, it seemed like it was over. And I don't know if some of them were filled with a lot of doubt. Some of them were filled with maybe questioning, were we wrong? Did we just waste the past, like, three years of our lives? I mean, now we've got to try to go back and, like, pick up the pieces of our lives because there's no way, there's no coming back from something that's severe. And they're living in this hopelessness. Or maybe they're thinking we must have been wrong or Maybe we misunderstood him. Maybe it was another parable that meant something else. And maybe he wasn't speaking literally. All these questions, all this doubt, all this hopelessness. The religious system of Jesus' day was very corrupt. The government did not fear God. The government imposed a system that made it difficult for those who were genuinely following God. Now we find the disciples of Jesus feeling hopeless. And if we look at how often we feel today, we could take some of those very same descriptions and say, yeah, that kind of sounds familiar. Yeah, religious system, corruption, religious corruption, where people have been misused, abused, broken trust with religious leaders, people that they thought they could trust, people they thought they could look up to, people they thought that they could put their hope in and follow the message that they were sharing and they got excited about what they were doing in the name of God and then only to see those people fall or only to see those people take advantage of others and maybe you have been taken advantage by someone in a position of authority. Maybe you've been taken advantage of and lied to by someone who you had a lot of trust in, someone that you thought was just a really good person, someone you defended, someone you stood up for. And perhaps they broke your trust. And a lot of times when those types of things happen, man, we just say, I'm done with this. Or we, we, we stereotype everybody together. Oh, man, all religious leaders are the same. Or all pastors are the same. Or all, all people in leadership in a church are the same. Or all churches are the same. And we throw them all in a bucket. And the reason we do that so quickly is because it hurts so real. And it hurts so much. And we just throw all of that into the same bucket. And we go, oh, they're all that way. I don't, I, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to quit. It's, it's just a man-made thing anyways. People get hurt. They get wounded. There's corruption. That's nothing new. There's corruption in Jesus' day too. There's corruption that those people experienced. 
people that they thought that they could trust were abusing their power, were misusing the, 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 the responsibilities entrusted to them. And then the government didn't fear God. The government made it very difficult for a person genuinely following God to follow God. And does that sound familiar, people? Yeah? Does that sound familiar, friends? I, I think it does. Because not only are those leaders corrupt, but we see, man, the government makes it very difficult because they're not fearing God. And so we're always put in these situations where it seems that someone who wants to be a genuine Christ follower, I, I, I'm living in this gray area and I don't like it because I want to live in the black or the white. And I, I, I want to see things that way. And it's so difficult because I keep getting put in these situations that, man, I, what, what do I do because now I have to contend with the, the pressures and the challenges of society and, and the morals of society and the morals of government and all these things that are being imposed and, and thrust upon me and forced upon me. And I don't know how to navigate it all the time. It'd just be so much easier if my government would all just fear God, follow Jesus. Man, wouldn't that be easier? It'd be so much easier if my boss would get saved, right? It'd be so much easier if my spouse were a Christian. It'd be so much easier if everyone in my life would just believe like me, serve God and follow God with a passion. That would be so much easier to be a Christian in that environment. And some people chase after that environment thinking, man, if I could just get that, then everything would be okay. But yet as I read the Bible, as I hear the words of Jesus, Jesus said, hey, there's going to be a lot of pressures and trials and difficulties and it's going to be because you follow me. Jesus told his followers that. He, he didn't sell them, you know, uh, uh, some bill of goods. He wanted them to understand the cost of following him. That, yeah, you're going to live in a society where there's corruption at the highest level. People who you trust betray your trust. People who you thought wouldn't lie to you lie to you. People take that power and, they, and, and it gets in their heart. It corrupts them. It gets in their head and... They start making selfish decisions, and it impacts your life, and it impacts your faith. And it causes you to doubt, and it causes you to lose hope. And it causes us to wonder, where is God in the middle of all of this? Much like the disciples sitting there on Friday evening, all day Saturday, where's God in the middle of all this hopelessness? Where's God in the middle of all of these challenges? Where's God in the middle of all this corruption? I thought he was going to come and fix everything, and it's just kind of made it worse. He's made my life more difficult. Now I've got to go backwards to try to have the life I used to have, and I didn't even like the life I used to have. Where do I go from here? This is probably the types of thoughts the disciples were having. These are the type of emotions that they were experiencing. And these are the types of thoughts we have in our world today. These are the types of thoughts that many people have when they come face to face with the challenges of, and the pressures of this life. Where is God in the middle of my bad diagnosis? Where is God in the middle of my job loss? Where is God in the middle of my family pressure? Where is God in the middle of all of this stuff while I'm going through divorce, while I'm, while I'm being lied to, rejected, manipulated, all these things taking advantage of? Where is God? In the middle of all this and let me tell you church many people have given up on jesus many people have given up on the church and they're in a similar place the disciples were after jesus died you see their hope died 
A lot of people in the Quad Cities area have given up hope. But maybe that's you today. You see, I said earlier, death has a finality to it. And when people don't have a hope beyond this life, you know what they do? They just simply live for themselves. And they live for today. Well, I know nobody says this anymore and it's super corny, but you know, YOLO, like you only live once, right? And what that means is that I'm going to be reckless and I'm going to be selfish and I'm going to do what makes me happy because my happiness is the goal of my existence. And so I'm going to pursue that and I'm going to keep chasing after things that make me happy. I'm going to make important life decisions off of whether this makes me happy or not. Oh man, if, if this person in my life doesn't make me happy, I got to move on, get them out of my life. If this job doesn't make me happy, I got to get out of this job, got to move on with my life. If this situation doesn't make me happy, got to get out of it, got to move on with my life because we're constantly pursuing our happiness because when we don't have hope, that's all we have is trying to pursue something to fill this void in us. And I'll tell you what, you go get that new job, you go get that new person in your life, it won't be long. They'll do something to tick you off, I promise. Amen, that's right, sister. Amen. They'll do something that you're going, oh man, now this doesn't make me happy. What am I supposed to do? The new house didn't make me happy. I thought this neighborhood was going to be our dream neighborhood. I thought this car was going to be the dream car. I've got that. And it satisfies momentarily because it doesn't have the ability, nor does any human being have the ability to fix and to fill the void in your life that's left because you need Jesus. He's the only one who feels that. He's the only one. But man, when you look at religion, you can be turned off. And you can go, I don't, I, I've tried to be a good person or I've tried to do the church thing. And can I tell you, religion and relationship with Jesus are two very different things. Very different things. You see, knowing the real Jesus he fills in us what no one else and nothing else can and gives us hope and gives us purpose. But when we hear about Jesus, we wonder, is he relevant? Or is this just something we do, you know, to go through the motions? Is, is that what Easter is all about? Maybe you're just trying to get somebody off your back and you're like, yeah, I'll show up, you know? <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> I'll go already. Where's my tie? I haven't worn it since last Easter. That, that's somebody in this room. That was a sincere amen, girl. <laughs> Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. We, we went through these scriptures talking about the arrest the death, the burial of Jesus, and now this is after he's already died. In chapter 15 of Mark, verse 40, it says, There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James the Younger, and of Joseph and of Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him, and they ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, 
who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, he took courage and he went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. Man, Joseph really did take courage. What a, what a bold thing to do. Like this guy, and he's a member of the council, he's a member of the Sanhedrin. And like these, the, these are the people that were a part of the responsibility of having Jesus crucified. And yet Joseph of Arimathea, he's one of these guys that's like, he's kind of a secret Jesus follower. And he really does love Jesus and he, and he wants to respect the body of Christ. And so he goes to Pilate and he says, I, I want Jesus' body. And I want to be able to take it and put it in my, my family tomb. Pilate was surprised to hear that Jesus should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Chapter 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so they might go anoint him. And at the early, at the very early, at very early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Now this, it's on a track, okay? It's on this kind of like, like cut out track and it slopes down. And so you're going to have to have somebody really strong to be able to, probably a, a several people, to be able to roll this because you're rolling this stone uphill. And then you're going to have to have the Roman soldiers remove this, this steel spike that was placed in there as well that was punched into that limestone. You're going to have to have them remove this. I mean, this is a process here. So these ladies on their way to go visit the tomb of Jesus, they're like, who's going to do all this stuff for us? Like the Romans, you know, are they going to help? Like, maybe they will, maybe they won't. Who knows? They're probably going to, you know, be jerks to us. And they're going, well, who's going to help us do this? And I'm like, we, we, we really want to do this. But they're talking about who's going to help them. And that's their concern. So they weren't going to the tomb to say, is he still there? They were going to the tomb fully expecting him to be there. Verse 4. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large, and entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. I would be too. <laughs> and he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples, mm, this is beautiful, and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them and they said nothing to anyone. They were afraid. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene from whom he had cast out seven demons. And she went and told those who had been with them as they wept and mourned. And when they heard he was alive and had been seen by her, they wouldn't believe it. <laughs> what? <laughs> they were so hopeless. Are you hearing this? Are, are, you, are you feeling this? They were so hopeless that even when Mary runs back and she's obviously completely done a 180, she's not mourning anymore. She's actually like trembling and overjoyed. You guys. And they're like, whatever, Mary. 
We don't believe you. After seeing these things appeared in the form in another form to two of them, Jesus appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country and they went back and told the rest, but the rest did not believe them. This is some deep-seated hopelessness. You've got three witnesses and normally Jewish tradition and the scripture says out of the mouth of two or three witnesses let everything be confirmed. As a matter of fact, in a court of law, in the Jewish tradition, if you were accused of something, there had to be two or three witnesses to confirm it. It just couldn't be one person that would come up and say, hey, this guy did this and I saw him and they throw you in jail. No, it says out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. There's three witnesses. Like this is your own rules here, you know. You got three witnesses who have confirmed this, and you're still going, no. This is how hopeless that they were. And then they went back and told the rest, but they wouldn't believe them. Verse 14. And then Jesus appeared to the 11 themselves as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They'll cast out demons. They'll speak in new tongues. They'll pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They'll lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven, set down at the right hand of God, and they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Man, understand this. You need to get this today. The Bible was not assembled as we know it until about 350 years after this event. We don't know about the resurrection because of the Bible. We have the Bible because of the resurrection. <laughs> you need to catch this. Because listen at the level of hopelessness that these people were at. People told this story over and over again. And these people who were mourning, these people who had, who had just said it's over, most of them died for this truth. So what changed? Something changed. Because they went from hopelessness to going back to their old jobs, and now they're willing to be crucified upside down on a cross. They're willing to be beheaded for the fact that Jesus had rose from the dead. You, you, if you're a good conspirator, a good one, you might be able to get a few people to follow you to death, but not very many. But man, so many people died because they claimed that Jesus had been risen from the grave. And this is how we know, folks, that Jesus is alive because these people began to proclaim it and they gave their very lives for it because they saw the resurrected Savior. They saw how hopeless it was. They saw how, how desperate the situation was. They saw how brutal the beatings were. And then to see Jesus risen, I would give my life for a risen Savior because that, now I know he has put death to death, and he has done what he said that he was going to do. And because of that, I can rejoice in that, celebrate that, trust him, have faith in him. You see, people told the story over and over again because Jesus is no longer in the grave. That's not the story. You can go to any other person of prominence within any other religious system. You can find them in their grave. Those bones will be there. Those tombs 
are still filled. Those graves still have contents in them, but not the grave of Jesus Christ. Amen? He defeated humanity's final enemy. Death no longer has victory. This is why the scripture says, death has lost its sting and the grave has lost its victory. Because for the person who places their faith and hope in Christ, because it is in Christ alone, because he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. Scripture says no one else can come to the Father except by him. Jesus is not a way, he's the way. And because Jesus is the way, I can put my faith and my trust in him that what he did on the cross was sufficient to forgive my sin, to cleanse me from all unrighteousness, to put the Spirit of God on the inside of me, to make me new, to make me alive in Christ. And because of that belief in my heart, that confession with my mouth, because I'm walking in obedience to Him, serving Him, loving Him, and I am learning how to live this life of faith day by day. And I can be assured that my hope now has been restored. My hope is not in my Myself, my hope is not in the government. My hope is not in religious institutions. My hope is not in figures in leadership. My hope, man, because a lot of people, oh, if we could just get this person or that person, then, then I can have hope again. Oh, if we could just put this person in this office, put this person in this place of responsibility, then I could hope again. No, 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 no. You see, we can't try to control those outcomes in our lives looking for hope. If those things happen, great, because Scripture says that when the righteous are in positions of leadership that men, the people rejoice. And that's a good thing. But yet, if that doesn't happen, I still have hope because the world didn't give me the hope I have and the world cannot take it from me. That hope has been given to me because of Jesus Christ. And here's our big idea for today. Jesus' resurrection restores hope. And hope in Christ is not in vain. See, folks, the disciples turned their attention from grief, from unbelief, from hopelessness, from fear. They turned all of that to zeal, passion, boldness, complete abandonment for the sake of living with a newfound hope, with a newfound purpose. A life lived for Christ is one that understands that, man, we are not only forgiven because of Jesus' sacrifice. But we are now called to live with a new set of priorities in our life. That set of priorities is shaped by the fact that I now have hope and I'm living my life like someone who has hope. I'm living my life like someone who has purpose. You see, now my life's priorities are not just focused on me and what makes me happy. That was how I used to live. Now I'm not just pursuing my own happiness to my own end by the things that the world tells me will fill that void in my life. Now... I am pursuing living my life for the glory of God. And actually, my eyes are set on beyond my life. We have a saying here at BCC. We say that what God has called us to do, that it's bigger than Sunday, it's bigger than Bettendorf, and it's beyond our lifetime. And what we mean by that is we're saying, as much as we love gathering together on a Sunday morning and worshiping, the purpose that God has given our lives, it's bigger than just gathering and assembling on a Sunday. It's bigger than just the town that we may be located in within the Quad Cities. And it's even bigger than the lifespan that I may get to enjoy. And I want to live my life with that type of purpose. And Jesus Christ gives me 
that type of purpose and that type of hope. Amen, church? And he doesn't just give it to me. He doesn't just give it to a select few. It's not like it's this quantified hope that is only for just a select few people and then everyone else, yeah. No, no, no. This hope is for all who will believe. This hope is for all who will put their faith in Christ and in Christ alone. This hope is for all who will see Jesus as the author and the finisher of our faith. The one who has penned your story. And now perhaps today is a day where you're at an intersection. You're at a crossroads. You're at a place where you're being confronted with your own emotions, your own thoughts, your own struggles, your own doubts, your own hurts, your own disappointments, and you're looking for hope. I can tell you today with confidence, based on scripture, based on so many lives and so many stories that have been altered by the power of God. I'm talking about people who were on a trajectory that society would have said, man, you can almost predict the outcome of that story because of the environment that so-and-so was raised in or the disadvantages that they had or because of all of the things that have happened to them or because of all of the, the, the mistakes they made, because of their history, because of their past, because of their reputation in town. And everybody knows that that person back in the day used to do these things. And, and, and man, that reputation follows that person. And, 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 and yet something transformative has happened in their lives. And that transformation is the power of God through putting their faith in Jesus Christ. That now a person who was on this pathway that the world could have said, yeah, figures, they're just like their dad, just like their grandparents, just like that lineage, just like that stereotypical person, whatever it may be, say, believe it or not, I used to have hair. And, and I, had, I had really fiery red hair as a child. And I, I, I hated being a redheaded kid because it got picked on a lot. I've always been super fair-skinned. And so I, me and the son don't get along, you know. I'm what you call indoorsy. Um, <clears throat> um, but, <laughs> but I like to ride motorcycles, so there's a problem. And so when I ride motorcycle, I have to, like, cover up and put on, like, all sorts of stuff. You can't even see me most of the time. And, you know, it's just always a risk. And as a child, man, people used to say things like, oh, you know those redheads? I got a... Temper, oh, hot-headed, red-headed kid, right? Oh, redheads, they have a temper. And there's things like that in life that maybe people have associated with you because of the color of your skin, color of your hair, the side of the tracks you grew up on, what part of town you grew up in, the situation with your parents, um, the stuff that you've dealt with that people know about. Oh, you've been in jail or you've been in prison. Oh, you're the person that was known as, you know, the, 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 the person that would always just have too much to drink. You're the person that everybody knows as the pothead. You're the person everybody knows as, you know, the person that would, you know, go sleep around and run around town and around the office. And there's all these associations that people make 
about you. And they try to determine your destiny because they'll speak these things over you regarding who you used to be. But can I tell you that who you are in Christ, this is what the Bible says. It says, old things are passed away and behold, all things have become new. There is a newness, there is a freedom to life in Christ where you don't have to carry the chains of your past around, even your past reputation. Other people may look at you that way, but Jesus looks at you as someone who is forgiven, who is redeemed, who is restored, not a second-class citizen, not where there's like first-class Christians and second-class Christians. That's not how it works with God. In the eyes of God, I've said this several times to you, church. There's not good people and bad people. There's just saved people and lost people. And we too were once lost people before we found salvation in Jesus Christ. And so we need to understand, yes. We need to understand, have patience and compassion with those who have not yet found hope in Jesus. And perhaps today is the day. See, many people have let you down. Many religious leaders, many People within the government or within your job or within your family, they've let you down, they've hurt you. But can I tell you, your pathway to hope and your pathway to healing is to remember the hope that Christ brings from his resurrection because that hope gives you a new purpose. I want to read one more scripture before we go this Easter morning. Revelation chapter 12. It says this, it's talking about those who were martyred for the name of Jesus. Those who gave their lives because they were Jesus followers. Those who were killed. Verse 11 says this is what's going to happen to those people. They're actually going to see this victory. Verse 11, and they overcame the accuser by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony for they loved not their lives even unto death talking about their adversary the accuser the devil they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony that's where the victory is and they they didn't even love their life even to the death because they knew who they belonged to death had lost its sting the grave had lost it's victory. Our response is to do what Jesus preached in his earthly ministry. That is to believe, that is to confess, that's to repent, that's to find hope in him and to follow him and to be obedient because that obedience that Christ lived out brought life in place of death and put death to death. And your obedience is your way by faith of accepting his invitation to follow him, to find hope to find new life, to find new purpose. And so if you're in here today, or if you're watching online, I wanna invite you to receive Christ as your savior. I wanna invite you to believe in your heart, to confess with your mouth. I want you to be stirred today by the spirit of God because if you feel this nudging in your heart or you feel this knocking in your heart or this drawing, that's, that's not me, man. That's the Holy Spirit. I can't do the heart work. I'm, I'm just the person that's supposed to give the message. You see, it's actually the Spirit of God who's ministering to your heart because he knows the personal thing. I can give a bunch of generalities, but I can't speak to your personal situation. And if you feel like today, man, did the pastor have my house bugged before the sermon? No, I, I, I didn't. That, that's not me. 
I'm telling you, that's the Spirit of God. And sometimes some of you guys come up to me and you tell me things in my sermon that I said, and I'm like, I didn't say that. Because, <laughs> or I'm like, that wasn't even what my sermon was about. <laughs> and, and honestly, that's okay. That's okay. Because maybe you needed to hear something from the Spirit of God, and maybe he took a word and he just brought it through that filter of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you and made it applicable to your situation. That's the power of God. That's not the power of any human being. That's the power of God. That's why he gets the glory for the life change, for the heart change, right? Because it's his spirit working. And I believe his spirit's been working on you today. <laughs> you may have showed up here just to check a box, man. And, and I get it. I get what that feels like, just showing up, just trying to make somebody else happy or get someone else off your back. Maybe you showed up and that was your attitude today. I want to make sure so-and-so sees me, right? But now maybe Jesus has gripped your heart. Maybe the Spirit's doing something in you. What do I do with this, man? What do I do? You acknowledge it. Lord, you're doing something in me. And I'm going to ask you to finish that work you've started. And I want to ask you to forgive me of my sin, where I've, where I've wronged you, where I've lived pursuing my own happiness and that's been my end goal i've come up short and i, and I want to trust in you i want to put my hope and my trust in jesus alone that's you today reach out to him just say something like that in your own words and, and never stop saying that it's not just a one time oh i said a prayer i'm good i just move on with my life and act like it never happened no that confessing is a continual confessing i should continue to confess and profess the good news of jesus christ amen so I want you to do that. And, and, and then you're not meant to walk that journey alone. We want to help you grow in that journey. And so there's going to be people who are at the front on either side of this stage. They're going to be here to pray when we dismiss it. And, and they're going to be here. And if you want to go just have them pray for you, we would love to pray for you. If you want to come up and tell them, hey, I, I did that thing that you told us to do, Pastor Derek, where, where, you, where you asked us to talk to Jesus and acknowledge what he was doing in our hearts and they want to pray with you they want to help you on your journey we want to walk alongside you with that because this journey was not meant to do alone Christ created us for community the church is the body of Christ not just a building where we assemble it's the people amen and so the church wants to walk alongside you we want to help you link arms and hearts with you and help you understand next steps of of walking out this faith journey that's what we want to help you do and we want to just help get to know you and help you to, to answer some of those questions you have, to talk through those doubts. You don't have to do this alone. And we don't want you to do this alone because God didn't create us to do it alone. But we do want to pray for you if you feel comfortable just letting someone, you want to tell them your life story, man. And maybe even if you're here and you got something else going on, you're like, Pastor, I'm already a Christian. Or maybe you're like, I feel like I've been far away from God. I feel like I haven't been taking it seriously. I haven't been taking my walk with him seriously. I just need someone to pray with me, and, and I just want to confess that to someone else, that I need to do that. And we want to do that with you, walk alongside, help you to be accountable in that way. Whatever God may be doing in your heart, and don't let us stop here on this Easter Sunday. Let this be the launch pad for your growth. Let this be the launch pad for you living your life in a new and transformed way. Let today be a significant milestone in your journey today whether you are a Christian or whether you're someone who just became a Christian or someone who may still have questions and struggles. 
So can we pray today? Lord, we thank you for what you've done in every heart. And we ask that you would continue to do it from this moment. We pray that you would get the glory for everything said and done in this place. All the attention, all the affection, it would all get pointed to you. And as people go and have brunches and as they gather with families and as they have nice meals, may they talk about how great it is that they serve a living Savior. Or may they talk about how they discovered salvation in Jesus Christ. Or may they talk about, Lord, the things that maybe you're dealing with their heart about. And may those conversations glorify you and lead to growth in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.